people don't work with the best in the business, really. And I, I noticed that early on because I'm seeing this with the client base I have. They don't choose to work with this SEO company and it has like a thousand mentions a week or it has so many Facebook likes. People don't really care about that. They care about you, your story, and what you bring to the table and how much do you actually care about their business. Welcome to episode 11, the final episode of season eight of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Alex Panias. Alex is the founder of ScaleMath, an SEO marketing agency with a bit of a twist. They're half agency and half marketing training and community. This actually is a trend that I've been seeing in the last 18 months or so, where agencies are building communities around their expertise. I think it's really smart. I asked Alex about this, and he shares why he's taken this approach a bit. Alex is 19 years of age, so it's safe to say that he's quite ahead of himself here, but he's super smart, super focused, and he's ready to help you and your SEO strategies. Scale Math officially launched in August of 2019 and is usually the case with most agencies. He's already been consulting and working with companies in the space long before that. Alex's clarity, focus, and authenticity are the reasons why I wanted to bring him on the podcast to speak about SEO, which, well, let's be honest, can be a topic that you find lots of shadiness involved in. In this episode, we dive into when SEO should be a focus and when you should focus elsewhere. We also talk about why picking a fight and the skyscraper strategies fail for most service-based businesses. We also talk about what to do when you start with your SEO and content marketing strategies. And then once you get some significant traffic, what's next? So let's dive in with Alex and myself. Hey, Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to bring on the show today, Alex. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, Jason. Glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, so (laughs) it's funny. I always try to pinpoint anybody that I have on the show where we first met. And then I'm in the context of things, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you're so young. (laughs) Like, technically... (laughs) you could be my son, like in biology terms, <laughs> like mindset, no way, but technically, right? The age is there. So first things first, I mean, why so young? Why did you jump into business right now? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. 
I could give like a really cliche answer, like which is what most people say when they're asked this. It's like, oh, I was really entrepreneurial from a young age already. But I think there was an element of that for sure. I think that, that I was business minded from a young age. But aside from that, it was essentially just me looking forward in life, what I wanted my life to look like. And I saw the traditional path of, you know, going to university and then graduating and getting a regular job. And that none of that really looked all too appealing to me. So I took the steps, essentially, I looked into what is it that I enjoy doing? And I was always dabbling. So I started with a YouTube channel when I was like 14 and I was doing brand deals already. And that was really fun, but it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't stick with me. So that wasn't my thing. And then eventually I was running marketing for a small software company and I was really enjoying it. And within seven months of working for them, I was genuinely seeing that the work I was doing was making a meaningful difference. And then from that moment, I knew that I just wanted to keep doing this for more companies. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've said it time and time before, like I knew that I wasn't able to work at somebody else's desk, right? Like I knew, mm -hmm. and I had no idea what that looked like. And this was, you know, I remember the exact moment when I vowed to myself that I didn't want to dread waking up in the, every day going to a job that I hated. And I was 14 at the time. And that was before the internet and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I didn't have the luxury or I don't know that it's a luxury, but the timing, the timing of it all. I didn't have that mm -hmm. opportunity to do that. Although when I was in college, halfway through was when Silicon Valley started ramping up San Jose, you know, it was the mid to late nineties. I had an all out argument with my mom that I was going to drop out of college and go out West. Right. And so I said, Hey, look, that's where I want to be. That's where the people are growing as the emergent technology and stuff like that. And if you talk to my mom today, she doesn't even remember this, but for me, it was a week long, like, like thing where I was just like, no, I'm quitting. I'm going out of, you know, and so on and so forth. But in my mind that that was a pivotal point for me because I was like, okay, this is my opportunity. Right. And so like to hear how you've already thought that, Hey, look, you know, this isn't appealing to me, but this is, and this is where, why I want to do what I want to do. You know, kudos. I mean, look, I have two young sons and I'm not sure what the college is, college life is going to look like in 15 years because who knows, but yeah. I can't, you know, and I've said this before to my wife is that like, I can't say that I agree with the college life, like going that route because I, there's nothing in it that I did in college that I'm doing today, mm -hmm. right? Like nothing. <laughs> so I get it there. Yeah. So describe a little bit about what you were saying as far as making an impact for other businesses. What specifically are you doing and what is it that you love about doing it? I think a common uh, thing with freelancers is they always, they start and then they look to get as many clients as possible. I really didn't start like that. And maybe it's because I really didn't need to like get, I didn't need to hurry to get money or anything like that. So I started with one client, I started small and I wanted to, before even approaching another client, like they were happy for those seven months, but before going to get more work, I wanted to know that what I'm doing is having a result. So I can go to the uh, approach potential clients with the result I got for them and on paper show them like, this is how we did it. And we can do the same for you. So I did essentially when I was helping them grow their business, uh, I did started out and there wasn't much of a like focus on SEO. 
But I quickly realized, I was like, if I want to help them grow something that is going to outperform just me every day working for them, so that is going to exponentially grow so that it can actually scale, I realized the only way to actually do that would be with SEO. So growing their organic search traffic with targeted posts that then helps them acquire customers. And that worked. So once I went through that process, I was like, okay, I've gone through this process once. Let me see if I can do it with another client. And then I was able to do it with another client. So it's like, okay, it's clearly... I've validated the idea and the concept. So let me keep doing it. That's awesome. So now how long have you been doing SEO? Not just with your current company now, but like even before that. Yeah. So Scale Math was incorporated officially in August of 2019, but I was working, I think one or two years before that already, basically doing the same thing I'm doing now. Do you, and so the, for me, SEO has always been like this mystery box, right? Like, mm. but I've started to realize a little bit more about some of the, you know, I'm a developer. So I understood the technical aspects of SEO, like how to use certain markup and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, it was always more of this mystery. And so I've always said, Hey, look, I'm a developer ones and zeros. Like there's no gray space, right. In developing it either works or it doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to clients and I flock towards e-commerce and being able to do things, add features, optimize checkout processes, those sort of things had direct results. Like there was a recipe there for me to follow. And again, same in the email space, like automating email sequences and things like that. How can you, how do you describe to potentially a new client that maybe has not yet had any experience in the SEO world, how do you describe to them exactly what you do and how, like, why they need these sort of services for the, the future of their business? That's a brilliant question. Yeah, I actually, I think that's such a valid point. And so many companies, SEO and content marketing is so trendy. So many companies think, especially software companies, start and think that that's the first place they need to invest their budget. And I'd argue that that's actually not the case, even if that's bad for business. But yeah, I wrote an article about it on, my, on the Scale Math blog, all about when content marketing really makes sense. And essentially, I don't think it makes sense for most early stage companies. So when you don't really have product market fit, it's hard for content marketing to move the needle. But once you do have that, and once you have customers, so when you're getting your first 100 customers, obviously, it's not really logical. There are way easier ways to generate revenue quickly. Facebook ads, outbound. So you should focus on those things first. But once you once you've validated your idea, I think SEO is one of the best ways to do it because in the long term, what you do with content marketing is you're educating the customer at every point of the buyer journey and then also beyond that. So essentially, you're helping customers discover you as a company, you as a product, find out why they need your product. And then once they use your product, you teach them how to use it better. And I think for software companies, which are really trying to ensure their customer success and not only their success, that, that's one of the best ways, if not the only way to really achieve that. Yeah. I like what you said there about showing them how to use your product and or service, right? And I have some of my favorites and I never really looked at it that way. I just thought that they wrote great articles and things like that. But then when I realized that there was a strategy behind it, mm -hmm. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's smart. Like I, it attracted me, right? And so- what are the, some of the sites that you look for for inspiration or that are doing that sort of thing very, very well? Ooh, that, I, that's a difficult question. People asked me that before. I think there's just basically everything. I try to not be blinded by just specific sites. 
I think the RackMath uh, website, which I work with as well, which is currently a client, they're an amazing company. And what we're doing with them is incredible. I really stand behind their product. I think the way they use their site at the moment is a perfect example. There are a lot of examples, like HubSpot is the main example. But I think one also thing, one thing to note when you're talking about examples is like you said, it's easy to look at these companies and be like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But then when you work with another software company, which isn't a HubSpot or an Intercom or a Slack, it's very easy to think, oh, let's just do something similar to what they're doing. But the clients often don't realize that these people are investing millions in content marketing. So it's, it's a very different ballgame at that level of what you're doing. And then I think the side that we lean towards at the moment is more the lean side of really doing what moves the needle for the companies so that they can drive revenue. But what HubSpot has done is essentially they've just dominated basically every search engine results page for marketing, sales, and software-related queries. So that, that's a whole different ballgame. So I want to get into how your thoughts on SEO for services versus products and maybe SaaS falls into that. But Mm -hmm. before I do that, I always love to ask, what's your defining moment in life so far? I think it's difficult to answer with a single defining moment. I feel like because like you said, I'm also very young. I think my life has been a series of many defining moments altogether. But if there's one specific thing I'd have to pinpoint so far as the most defining moment, it would be uh, helping that first client which was really, it was really moving because they moved out of essentially a one bedroom apartment into their dream apartment. And they were able to start a family and seeing that I was like, whoa, like I never thought, especially at that time I was 17. I was like, there's no way that what I did working with them, and I don't take credit for it entirely, obviously they built the product, but together working with them, I was able to make this happen. I just, that was an incredible feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you. Like, I, the, my clients are small businesses, sometimes young families, sometimes, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it's who I am too. And that's the kind of clients that I lo- enjoy working with. And just being able to, and I always say this, create something that's abstract in their mind, which is what they're hiring me to do. Mm-hmm. And I actually make it happen for them. And then they get the results of whatever that thing is in their mind that's going to transform their business, their life, whatever it is, when they actually get that thing, that's the win. Mm-hmm. Like that for me lights me up because that's like, hey, I have this process. I have this knowledge base. I have this experience. I could help you get to where you really want to get to by doing this. And that ultimately is why I do what I do and it sounds very much the same for you. And I can totally appreciate that. So- you work primarily with product-based companies? Yeah, mainly software companies, at least for the moment. So what would be the differences if there are any? I mean, obviously you niche down on that or specialize in that at that point in time. But at this point in time, what would you say is the differences to showcase how somebody can use your services rather than the product in certain pieces of content and things like that? Yeah, I think it's actually very similar. I think even with B2B and B2C, those are two people usually say, oh, it's so different. I really don't think, especially with SEO and content marketing, it doesn't really have like a defining difference where, oh, this really just doesn't work with B2C or it doesn't work with B2B. I think the main thing is with B2B and with services, I think the buyer's journey is just way longer. So if I'm trying to sell link building services, if I'm trying to help somebody build a membership website, as a freelancer, that's not necessarily something where 
somebody's going to make the decision from one day to the next. Now with content marketing, are you going to run the most popular membership website blog? I mean, probably not initially when you're first starting, it's going to get pretty difficult to get there, but can you help educate your like part of the audience that you're targeting part of the market that you're targeting and help them decide that you are the authority and you want, they want to work with you directly because people don't work with the best in the business really. And I, I noticed that early on because I was thinking like, Oh, why would anybody ever work with me? And I think we're incredibly great at what we do. I can't speak and I'm not going to speak on how other people do what they do, but people really choose to work with, and I'm seeing this with the client base I have, they don't choose to work with, Oh, this is SEO company. And it has like, a thousand mentions a week, or it has so many Facebook likes. People don't really care about that. They care about you, your story, and what you bring to the table, and how much do you actually care about their business. And I think if you really stand out as a service-based business, when you show the people that you care about their business, because most, when they grow past a certain point, they can't have that level of attention to detailing. They reach the point where, like for me, for example, if I'm working with a software company, I see some agencies where they work with software companies, and they don't use the software from the companies they're working with. So for example, if you're working with a scheduling tool as a client and you're using another scheduling tool, then I mean, you're clearly not invested in working with them and driving the results. I nearly fell over when Alex stated this. Look, I was standing at the time. I have a standing desk, so I literally got weak in the knees. Showing your clients that you truly care and are invested in them, that's the difference maker when it comes down to getting clients. It's the difference maker to create that great experience. Showing clients that you, you are using the tools that they use and have an intimate and deep knowledge of what they are experiencing with those tools goes a long way to closing brand new clients. This is something that I realized back in 2012 when I first specialized helping online businesses with their WooCommerce websites. And now I've since expanded that into ConvertKit. Learning from other successful people running businesses, trying new strategies and growing together shouldn't be difficult to obtain. Look, it should be as easy as possible for you to learn from other developers, designers, and creative professionals providing client services. Welcome to Feast Club, feastclub.co. No more stale articles from 2006, 2007, 2008 on the web giving you advice on how to run your business and double your revenue. As a Feast Club member, you'll be a part of a community of like-minded service providers building predictable income and systems to grow their business in today's market, right now. We've added live trainings and workshops into the mix as well. Alex was gracious to bring his SEO masterclass into the mix alongside those like Nick Gulick, Sarah Massey, and many more to come support, confidence, and being challenged from everyone inside of Feast Club helps you grow to make great strides to achieve the goals that you set out for when you started your own business. Look, this is a private community, but there's not some golden gate that you need to pay a high price for entry. It's only $5 a month. 
Yeah, some people are calling me a little bit insane for that. But inside, you're going to find stories, you're going to find resources, you're going to find strategies all around marketing, selling, pricing, and building your services. Ultimately, it's a safe place for any designer, developer, or client service business owner to share ideas and get support. And yes, I've even seen a few people connect and land a project or two. You're going to get access to a private Slack community, a super secret podcast, access to monthly Q&A and virtual co-working sessions, all of this for just $5 a month. So if you want to check it out and join a community that's built on a saying, a raising tide raises all boats, head on over to feastclub.co today. And yes, it is only $5 per month for a limited time. But if you do join today, you'll lock that in for as long as you are a member. I hope to see you inside the club. Now let's get back to the conversation between Alex and myself. I like that. I mean, I know one of your other clients is a friend of this program, Vito Peleg, and he built a plugin for WordPress, mm-hmm. WP Feedback, which helps people you know, get feedback from their, their clients as far as their websites go. And he echoed something, and I can't remember if it was just in a conversation that we had or whether it was on the podcast itself. Yeah, he said something similar. Is it's like, you're going to attract the kind of people that you want to work with. And being able to do that, you have to be willing to accept that, right? And so just putting yourself out there and saying, hey, this is who I am and this is what I believe in, plants that flag in the ground and says, hey, look, I'm here and I can do what you're asking me to do. I'm just like you. This is why I do these things. I use your products. Uh, I'm a big fan of you, what you stand for, your products, so on and so forth. And that also makes the client experience that much better because you're intimately knowledgeable in that space, right? And so echo your your statement there as far as if you're using a product and you have a client that is a competitor of the product that you're using in competitor space, okay, I get why you're doing that. You might have to pay the bills or you might have to pay salaries or think something of that nature. But if you're small enough, Go have conversations with people that you really enjoy like working with, right? Like I, you know, I I enjoy working with small online businesses, some coaches, some nonprofits, things like that. Those are the kind of people that I want to work for and work with and help drive their businesses and such. And you know, like you said, working with a smaller clientele. You don't need a thousand clients every single month coming through your door. It affords you the ability to do that and really plant your flag and sort of, and then on your website, you sort of pick a fight too, right? Like you say like, Hey, there's plenty of gurus out there. Right. And so in a similar space too, where, you know, there's plenty of people that say like, Hey, you need email marketing, you need automation, you need Facebook ads, you need copywriting, you need all these things in order to be successful online. What does that mean? Right? Like successful online means what to you? Like, do you want the corner Manhattan office in a skyscraper somewhere? Or do you want to just be able to go play with your kids in the backyard, right? On a Tuesday afternoon. So 
success means what, right? And so I'm always, the pick a fight thing is kind of like, I don't know, for me, it's planting that flag. I'm curious how you've embraced that concept as well in your marketing. And do you encourage your own clients to also quote unquote, pick a fight? I think, uh, I mean, picking a, like a fight or picking a side in, works incredibly well for marketing. I mean, we start with uh, Basecamp's launch of Hey, the email client. Mm-hmm. Like Basecamp has picked, I think, like 20 fights over the last five years. Like one was against uh, Slack, against group chat in general. Then, I mean, just it has worked unbelievably well for them. So it's definitely a strategy that works. In terms of how I managed to accomplish that for, for scale math, it was more so for me, it was just what I really enjoyed doing and what I enjoyed working with. So I am a technical person myself. So I enjoy software and I knew that I didn't really, there are a lot of SEO agencies that work like local businesses. And if you like working with restaurants and stuff like that, and you like those, like the clientele, then that can be an excellent industry to work with. But if you're, for me, that's just not for some reason, I can't really pinpoint why exactly that's the case, but it just wasn't something that interested me. I mean, they've been picking fights. Basecamp has been picking fights like from the get go, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's how I found them was a fight that they were picking. And I was working on a design agency where we were just doing meetings after meetings after meetings and with me. And I'm like, there's got to be like, mm-hmm. I can't get any work done. And I found their, I think it was at first they're getting real book, which is like one of the things. But then, you know, rework was another book and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I came into their world. But I think also to that point, though, I think. It has to be in your nature to do that. Like, and maybe I, you know, I can't speak for Jason and David, but those two guys, it's also in their nature to kind of push against the grain a little bit, right? Like you can't force that. I mean, you said like 20 times they've probably picked a fight over the past, you know, 20 years, right? And so if that's the case, then there's at some point in time where like, that's just, Mm -hmm. that's who they are. That's, you know, they're kind of take a a stance and they kind of push against the grain a little bit. Authenticity sometimes is one of those things for me in content marketing, tough, I guess. Right. And what I mean by that is, is like, you can see what, you know, you could put your keyword in, see what comes up in the the results and things like that. And you say, okay, well, I got to create articles like that because that's what's working obviously. And so, Sometimes that could kind of come off as disingenuous, right? Like, or clickbaity or whatever, just because you're trying to rank higher than, you know, you're trying to get to number one, just like everybody else. What are your thoughts around that sort of tactic for content marketing? Are you, you know, like, I think they call it the skyscraper tactic or whatever, right? Like, hey, if there's, you know, the top 10 this, I'm going to write the top 20 this, right? And just try to get that in. Is that something that you use or curious your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, let's be honest, like you said, most content is written like that. You Like people look at the search term or terms that they're trying to target and they, they look at the search engine results page, the top one of five or one to 10 ranking posts. And essentially all they do is they, they compile some of the ideas that all of the articles have in common. And then they also add their personal favorites. And then at the end, they rewrite it in their own personal writing style, which is arguably going to be better than the rest. And I think, like you said, the best case result when you do something like this with this method is a marginally better article. And at the end of the day, I don't want to hate on the tactic, 
I think it definitely works and there is merit in doing that. It creates rankable content. But I think what people often forget is that ranking is the first part of the equation. So if you write content like that, sure, you're going to rank. You might get the click from the searcher if you've built trust and people trust to click on your website. But beyond that, what happens when somebody reads your content? Are they ever going to remember it or are they just going to end up clicking away and because it was just a surface level article. And I think that's the part of the equation that a lot of businesses never consider. And the reason that is, is because most articles, they don't write to the expert level of the reader. So they don't write to the knowledge level of the reader. So if you want to create an article that truly impresses you, for example, about what you're into with email marketing, would I be able to write an article like that myself in an hour? No. Would I be able to Google email marketing and analyze the search engine results page and compile an article with my ideas in an hour? Yes. Would that article rank if I built enough links? Theoretically, yeah, it could rank. But when you read that, you're going to read that and you're just going to be like, yeah, okay, this is a good clickbaity article and it covers some of the basic concepts, but it's not really an article that has any merit to it in terms of content. And correct me if I'm wrong here. What you're suggesting is is really just write articles based on one, your expertise, but two, what the searcher is actually looking for. Yeah, I think doing not doing that is really difficult. And I think that there is a way of turning it around, which is before writing your next article, don't head to Google and don't type in what you're looking for. I always start on a blank slate and I make a note of if I'm the person. So usually when you write an article, you know at least one person that you're targeting. So if I, like the article I wrote about when content marketing makes sense, this is targeting a COO of a SaaS company that's maybe doing a million a year. So I put myself in the shoes of this person that's going to read the article. I make sure that when I write my outline or my, do my research, I'm not, well, but this is before the research phase, but essentially I note down what I would expect to see if I'm this person, what I would want the website that I'm clicking on to answer. And then when you're in the research phase, and you've written an article, beyond that, you need to go through your article and look through, are you answering any questions that are so blatantly obvious? I think this is the, the biggest one you'll see. When you Google something like email marketing, I can almost guarantee, I don't know, but you'll click one of the top ranking articles and it will say, email marketing is important in 2020, which is, I mean, the most <laughs> obvious, like, no, obviously, yeah, I Googled email <laughs> marketing. I know it's important. And they just make surface level statements like this, which don't really speak to the reader that you want to impress when they're reading the article. And you can't really know who is going to be reading your article, but especially in B2B companies and service companies, you know your ideal client or the type of client you want to find. So I think writing to match that level of expertise, if not exceed it, is the only way to create something that is actually going to be memorable and then impress them to the point where they reach out or to the point where they subscribe and then eventually convert to a customer. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. So how do you validate an idea for an article, right? So you said that, look, start with a blank slate. Don't go to Google first, right? Don't search your idea. Mm -hmm. So how would you say, okay, as a service provider, let's say, whether it's developer, designer, so on and so forth, how do I know what to write? Okay. Yeah. Great question. So it's a little bit different for what I do because I run an agency and we work with clients. So when you look at an example, like signal versus noise is, is Basecamp's blog, because we brought them up earlier already, is a great example. They write stuff that they, they only write stuff that they truly believe in, regardless of whether there's really search volume behind it. 
But when you, especially when you're starting out and you want to only invest time in what works, and when you're an agency and you need to prove that what you're doing is is actually moving the needle for clients quickly for them to continue working with you. We base a lot of it around search volume. So is there search volume there for it? And then also search intent. So we usually start with the keywords that have a higher chance of converting into a customer. And then we work our way down the funnel, which is not the funnel, sorry, down the buyer's journey. So you start with a, a keyword, which is when the person is really close to actually making a purchase. And then you move up to the one where you're educating them about what it is, why you're building this software solution, or why you're offering this service. And then through that, they eventually convert into a customer. Yeah, I like that. Start with the end, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that I've always, anytime I try to validate a new service that I'm going to offer, like, okay, well, I've done this for this customer. Why did I do that? What did I answer? What did I solve? What challenges? What were the results? And then work backwards, go all the way back up the chain that way. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a ton of sense. And for me, just even <laughs> like I was saying before, SEO still for me is like one of these like black boxes. There's so much data that you can gather from it, like Google Analytics and all these other tools that are out there. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I can pull all these different levers that worked for somebody else and it doesn't work for me. And so like exactly. that for me as a ones and zeros guy is like, oh, I, this hurts my head. Like, I don't understand why it's not working, right? But but it makes a ton of sense as you describe it there. Like, hey, when you start to think about writing content, be mindful of, hey, if this is your first blog post or your first five blog posts, let's talk about those people like, hey, on your last sales call even, like, what did you answer there? Like, what were the questions? What were the objections? Like, write that as an article. And that just kind of feeds that sort of entry point that those people, okay, now you don't have to have a sales call. There's an article that writes about that. I think think that's super smart. One question that I do have, and this is, goes around those tools, right? Like, obviously Google doesn't tell us exactly how things rank, right? They give us these ideas. They give us these long things and the algorithm shifts and changes and things like that. And they, they say, hey, this is a ranking factor. Mobile is now, you know, first and all these other things, right? But these tools out there, like say, you know, they gather all this data and then it's up to us or maybe, maybe it's up to you. <laughs> maybe you know how to read yeah. this data and parse it out, but how do these tools kind of work into that like area? Do you suggest like getting a tool and using that or, you know, if you're starting out, right, if you're starting to produce content, would you suggest getting one of these tools and to kind of just do your own research or do you just do organic research and kind of say, hey, what is my competitors doing? What are people in my space doing? I'm curious, like the shiny object is strong in the SEO world and the content marketing world. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think starting out, I'm assuming you're referring to tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush and all of this. I think starting out, these tools are are extremely expensive for people, especially independent service providers to just say, oh yeah, I'm going to justify this investment when they haven't proven that content marketing is an acquisition channel for their business. I think I wouldn't recommend spending money on those tools to begin with. And neither do they, ironically, because it's more to the point when you're doing this and you're trying to focus your efforts. I think that's when you reach that point. When you're first starting out, I think one simple 
way of approaching each article is. And I think this carries on afterwards as well, because it helps you know who you're writing for is you should only really write content when you have five to 10 people, you know, in real life, like, or through the internet. Like, I know I'm writing an article for you, Jason, or, and then five other people, like I can picture these people. And I know in my mind, I can put myself into their shoes and picture, oh, this is what they're going to think when they read this. So is this going to be worth it to publish or is this not going to be worth it? I think in terms of driving search traffic, though, there are other ways to see other free tools that let you see how much search traffic, search volume there is for keywords, which are great. But no, I, I wouldn't recommend initially. It's not, a, it's not necessary. Yeah, Ahrefs is one of those blogs that I always enjoyed. Like mm. they give you like 75% of the article is like awesome this is what we do. This is how you do it and all that stuff. And then the 25% is this is how you do it in our product. Right. And so like, yeah. that was always for me, like a smart way. We were like, Hey, we're showcasing you. You don't have to do that. We still give you the value, but if you're interested, here's this thing. And I've run free trial with them. They ran some promotion where you got the, the account for free for a while. And so I dug into the tool for like a week, two weeks at a time. And I'm like, oh, my, my head hurts. Like <laughs> all of this data, yeah. like, and like trying to analyze that sort of thing. I mean, that's one of the things for me is like, and maybe that's why it's such a mystery to me because I'm not in there all the time. Obviously, you have a process that works. I mean, you can rinse and repeat and you kind of like, as you said, like, hey, I did it for this one and then I did it for the second one. And I was like, hey, this is what I want to do because I can replicate this over and over again. So when you think about moving like into the future for content marketing, let's say you have plenty of articles out there. You're starting to gain some traction, that sort of a thing. Like, what's the next step? Like, if you're starting to rank for some of the words, the keywords that you have, what's the next step? Is it building links? Is it outreach to get links? I mean, what's that next step? I mean, a great question. I think, are you referring to once you already have like significant search traffic, like let's say 100,000 visitors a month or 100,000 visitors just a year? Yes. I think there is always a next step. And I think in content marketing, especially, the key to moving because people don't make a purchase when they first find your content. So I think the one way, once you have the discovery and you have the money, because once you're generating that much traffic, the chances are you are converting at least some of it. If not, then likely have some other underlying issue, but especially for software companies, you should be converting quite a lot of that. And at that point, you then, I think the key is to then invest in brand and design, because I think those are, that's really the future of SEO because when people search for, for example, they search for how to optimize my WordPress website and they search for Keenstar. So they don't Google optimize WordPress website. They Google Keenstar speed up WordPress and they go to that guide. I think that's when you've truly won search because people remember you for your detailed content. And I think that's where you want to be as a company. You want to be the company where people come to you for advice. So that's what I would invest in if I'm a company. And that's what I encourage all of our clients to invest in as well. Once you can, be the best out there, like focus on improving your product, focus on improving your website. So people are more likely to be impressed and pleased when they visit it. And then because the user experience is excellent. And I think that's where you really win. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So I know you have a community or, and it's invite only at the time of this recording. Anyway, can you just describe a little bit more of like what's behind the scenes there? Like what do people in that community get? Yeah. So 
Part of what I want to do is because, like you said, my goal with Scale Math as an, on the agency side of things hasn't been to work with like 100 or 200 clients. I don't want to reach that stage, at least not with this service offering I have now. So I decided I, I still want to help more people. So instead of approaching the companies that want services directly, I want to be able to help people and help people make connections in the industry as well and get answers. So I've created a community where people can come get help as well as I'm essentially sharing behind the scenes of the thought process, a lot of what we've covered here as well, like how we approach writing a new article, how we approach qualifying keywords before we start writing an article, essentially opening the book on what the process is for clients so people can replicate that for themselves in their own business. Sounds like a community that I need to be in. <laughs> Just a little, as far as all of that goes. I mean, I love podcasting. Writing is not a strong suit of mine. I'd much rather pull up a microphone and have a conversation. But in the context of the podcast, there's always the post, there's the show notes, there's the resources and things like that. And so I know for a fact, whether it's my services side or even the, the coaching and the helping other freelancers build that recurring revenue, podcasts, anytime I ask a brand new customer, where'd you hear from me? Over three quarters of them say, I heard you on a podcast, whether it was my own or somebody else's. And so I know that that in and of itself was out there. I didn't reach out to them to get them. They found the podcast, they, you know, whatever. That for me is now basically the next six months is going to be a big focus for me to enhance and learn a little bit more about SEO, how I can leverage the podcasts for more organic traffic, targeted keywords, and sort of all of that stuff. So that's why I love fact that you're on here right now, because for me, it like <laughs> I set out for the week, let's say I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then by like Wednesday, I'm like, okay, I'm just in the rabbit hole of, I don't know what, like I need to do all of these things and pull all these levers and all that other stuff. But I just really need to start, right? Like I've never, I've never put SEO as like foot forward. Right. Like I never thought about anytime show notes go up there, they just go up there. Like I'm like, here, this is what somebody's going to read. This is the title. This is the things. Never thought about keywords that I'm trying to target for. Obviously, it's going to be the name of the guest or something like that. But sometimes it's not. Right. And so there's other things where I talk about where it's a solo show. And so I can see in the analytics certain podcasts rank. And obviously, if they get a rank for the person's name, but then other topics. And so for me, it's always interesting. I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't even try that. That's cool, right? <laughs> so like putting that best foot forward, what would you say for somebody that does, like myself, have content that could be ranking? What's that next step to optimize that? Yeah, I mean, with podcasts, like you said, there are a lot of ways to do it. I think the way you do it works well. So podcasts will mostly rank for the title, the name of the person. So that's the first thing. But then beyond that, you can turn the content of your interview into a post. So often what happens, which is funny, because speaking of SEO and content marketing, is you'll Google and you'll find that the same person that wrote an article about the best SEO software also wrote an article about the best homes in like New York or something like that. Like you'll see it's just the same freelance writer. Obviously, they're not an expert on, on either like real estate or SEO tools are just a freelance writer. And I think when you use interviews to your advantage, you, especially because you're already conducting them, 
can leverage the content of the interview and turn that into using the expertise of whoever you're interviewing on SEO content marketing or design or building software like the Vitos, and then turn that into an article where you write. But for to do that, the writing has to be a strong suit, I think, because it's difficult to gather those thoughts and compile them into an article that is really easy to digest as well. Mm-hmm. But that is one way of doing it. Cool. Awesome. Well, I do want to be mindful of your time. Alex, thanks for coming on the show and sharing some wisdom and some personal consultation for me yeah. as well. <laughs> I appreciate that. Where can folks reach out and say thanks? Yeah, so uh, you, they can find me at scalemath.com. They can sign up in the hero area there. I have a newsletter that I run. It's not necessarily weekly because I try to only email when there's something really worth sharing, but almost every week. So that's where I'd recommend people can reach out to me. And uh, before I do let you go, what's up next for the next six, 12 months? I know you said the community, but what's up next for you? I think the focus is really going to be on the community and then doing more of what's worked for the, on the agency side of things. So I've been, as you know, I haven't been very open in terms of doing podcast interviews like left, right and center, because I felt it would have felt wrong. I wanted to make sure that I like, was a man of my word, that what I was doing was really helping my clients. I couldn't really honestly go into a podcast and talk about everything I'm doing in like a big headed way if it's not really actually doing what I'm saying it's doing. So I wanted to get that done. And now that I have approached that side of things and it's running more smoothly without me needing to panic to deliver work, like the situation most agencies go through at some point, I'm essentially just going to try to scale up that side of things. And I'm really enjoying working with the companies there. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Jason. And for everyone listening, until next time, short time to live in the feast. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably it is this one, why not go ahead and drop a comment or review? Whatever method of communication that your podcast app is doing. Or go ahead and share in a tweet and tag me at res, that's with three Z's. Also, hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next season as we continue growing our businesses and learning from others who are doing it successfully in today's market. Until then, it's your time 